Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge. I'm the president of Gateway Seminary. Each week on the podcast, we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. We tend to focus on issues related to church leadership or organizational leadership, but also from time to time, I like to focus on personal aspects of being a Christian leader, uh, what it means to set an example, to be a person who models for your followers what it really means to be a disciple uh, who's making an impact in the world for Jesus Christ. And so last week on the podcast and this week, we're talking about barriers to sharing the gospel. And I made the comment last week that uh, most barriers to sharing the gospel are actually barriers that are put up by Christians. Um, my experience in 40 years of sharing my faith is that the, the, the non-Christians around me are not really putting up the barriers. Now, going all the way back to the New Testament, the, uh, uh, the, most, uh, the most difficult opposition Jesus faced came from the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, people like that. Uh, Jesus didn't seem to have any real problem living among, dealing with, working with people that were uh, irreligious or who were non-followers or who needed to be reached with the gospel. It was the religious elite that caused him the most difficulty. So I've tried to work hard in my life not finding myself in that category of religious elite that uh, put up barriers to the gospel or to getting the gospel to other people. People really uh, do want to hear the gospel and they do want to talk about it. Uh, recently, I was uh, in an Uber, uh, talking to the Uber driver. She was a young woman, about 30 years old. I uh, struck up the conversation by just asking her about how long she'd been driving for Uber and something about her, her life and, and uh, how that all fit together. Uh, really, without much prompting, she told me that she was uh, uh, a young mother who uh, had a job as a hospital translator. And because that was sort of an irregular schedule, although a good job and a good paying job. It didn't have a consistent schedule. And so uh, she filled in her off times from that position by driving for Uber. She also then said it fits in well with my uh, parenting because I have a five-year-old child and uh, it gives me the opportunity to pick him up from school and spend extra time with him. And since I'm divorced, uh, that's really an important uh, aspect of my life as well. So I Followed up that comment and simply asked, "Well, tell me more about uh, your, you know, your background. What what kind of translator are you?" Well, I translate from Spanish. Well, how did you learn Spanish? Well, I grew up in Mexico and my family immigrated here. Ah, I see. And uh, you said that you were divorced and that you have a child. So tell me about your life now. And so she said, "Well, I was married to a Muslim." I said, "Really? Yeah." She said, "I grew up uh, uh, Catholic in." Uh, Mexico, but never really practiced my religion. And when I came to adulthood, it didn't really make that much difference to me. And so I married a Muslim. And then I found out that it did make a lot of difference to me because he wanted me to be a Muslim. He wanted me to live like a Muslim woman. And the story that she unfolded was a story of pain and difficulty and trauma that she had lived through before she got divorced and moved on with her life. So I simply said, well, you know, God really cares about you, and he wants to have a part of your life, and he wants to intersect you in spite of all this difficulty you've had. And she said, you know, I know that, and I've actually been going to church with a friend, and, and that encouraged me. So I started talking to her about her friend and about the friend's church, which I found out was an evangelical church. And then I got to share some of the gospel with her and encourage her to keep pursuing that relationship with God, with her friend, and with, through their church. Uh, then the Uber ride ended. I had to get out, but I wished her the best and prayed for her to continue down the path she was on of seeking God with her friend's help and with the church that she had found. I share that story for a couple of reasons. Number one, people are open to talking about the gospel. They're open to talking about God in their lives. Number two, 
not every witnessing story ends with a person becoming a Christian. Sometimes I get frustrated by Christian speakers who always tell these fantastic stories about how many people they've won to faith in Christ and how it seems like every time they witness to someone, that person becomes a Christian. Well, I certainly have witnessed to a lot of people who have become Christians, but I've witnessed to a lot of people who haven't become Christians as well. Uh, A lot of people that I've been able to encourage or move down the road toward faith or to help understand their need to keep pursuing the the opportunity for relationship with God. So I'm I'm just sharing my story today to help you understand that people do want to talk about the gospel, uh, but not everyone that you talk with is going to ultimately become or automatically become a Christian in, in that conversation. So be encouraged by that. Well, let's go on now with our conversation about these barriers that I keep mentioning. Uh, I mentioned five last week, now five more today. The next barrier is theological convictions that devalue witnessing. Now, there's at least a couple of these I want to highlight because sometimes we come to believe things that really do undercut our responsibility to be a witness or to train others to witness with us. Uh, One of these is uh, popular today, and that is uh, a branch of theology that's sometimes called Reformed or Calvinist. And not every person that wears those titles has this problem, and I want to be clear about that. But sometimes if you emphasize the doctrine of election to such an extreme Uh, it can eliminate the need for witnessing. People sometimes say, well, um, God elects those who are going to be saved, and that's God's business, and I don't need to worry about my involvement in that because he'll ultimately uh, call out the ones that he wants to have a relationship with himself. Well, that is certainly uh, a position that undermines or devalues witnessing because it takes all responsibility away from us to be sharing the gospel with people around us. Now, I want to underscore this. Some of my most evangelistic friends, in fact, one of the most evangelistic men I know, uh, would also describe himself as being Reformed or Calvinistic in his theology. But he also says that he has a responsibility to be obedient to the Word of God, which clearly says that he has a responsibility to share the gospel with as many people as possible. In other words, while he believes that only the elect will ultimately come to faith in Christ, he has no business trying to determine who those people are. His job is to share the gospel with as many people as possible and let God do his part in the role of calling out those he wants to have salvation. So uh, just because you bear those titles of Reformed or Calvinist doesn't mean that you can't be a good witness. In fact, it means that if you take the Bible seriously, you will be a good witness because you'll be trying to obey the instructions, the commands that Jesus gave us to tell the whole world the gospel. Another theological uh, conviction that can undermine witnessing, though, is the idea that only Christian ministers or only Christian leaders are supposed to be witnesses. Now, most people listening to this podcast are probably thinking of themselves as a Christian leader, and you say, well, I certainly know I should be a witness. But you have to make sure that you also have a strategy for training other people to be involved in witnessing. I have enjoyed sharing my faith over the years, and that was a very impor- is a very important part of my, my ministry. But when I was a pastor, I got almost as much joy out of training other Christians to share their faith. Uh, I think about one person particularly that uh, uh, I I met him through his wife, uh, ultimately led his wife to faith in Christ, and then him as well. And after he became a Christian, he was so zealous for the gospel and wanted to learn how to share it. So I I enrolled him in a witness training program that I was leading at the time, and I walked him through several weeks of training and modeling and just helping him learn what it meant to share his faith, and then saw him start sharing the, his, the, his faith with other people, and then saw him start training other people to share their faith with other people. 
And I got such fulfillment, not only out of my own sharing of the gospel, but of training this brother to share the gospel and then watching him train others to share the gospel and seeing the expansion of my influence through that process. If your theology uh, somehow makes a hard distinction between clergy and laity or between people who are responsible to do the witnessing and those who are responsible to support those who are doing the witnessing, you need to rethink your theology. Because the Bible is pretty clear, all of us, every single believer has a responsibility to share the gospel. And those of us in leadership, while we have that responsibility to share the gospel, also have a secondary responsibility, and that is to, to train other people to be involved in sharing the gospel with us. And so theological convictions uh, that devalue witnessing must be avoided. And we must understand that our theology uh, must drive us to be witnesses and our theology must drive us to, sh to train other people to share the gospel with us. And you'll get just as much joy or close to it out of training other people to share the gospel and watching them have the joy of introducing people to Jesus as you will yourself. Well, here's another barrier. Another barrier to sharing the gospel today is what I call preoccupation with culture wars. Man, the culture is really antagonistic in so many ways to the gospel and it's in so many ways to Christian um, values today. And it is really easy to become preoccupied with trying to fix the culture or oppose the culture or in some way uh, correct the culture. But I want to remind you that uh, you know, God did not commission us to create heterosexuals, or he did not commission us to create um, uh, certain kinds of marriages, or God did not commission us to create people who are, or to, to promote people who are abstinent from drugs or alcohol. Now, all of these things are good. Believe me, I, I'm for all of these things and for standing up in the culture on all of these issues. But ultimately, the culture's passing away. And we have to be careful that we don't become so preoccupied with the culture that it diverts us from our primary responsibility of sharing the gospel and helping people not only find meaningful life now, which is what culture wars are all about, but eternal life forever. So it's important that you not be diverted too extensively into what I call the preoccupation with culture or culture wars and lose sight of the ultimate responsibility you have to share the gospel and see people come to meaningful life now and eternal life later. You know, there's really two responses to the culture that, um, are, uh, that undermine or devalue witnessing. Uh, the first one is angry or anger with the culture. Uh, that's where we find ourselves uh, blogging, making speeches, making signs, uh, joining political movements, and doing all those things to such an extent that they become the consuming anger of our lives, that we're simply driven by this, this bitter, vitriolic feeling we have about the evil people around us and what they're doing to our culture. Anger with the culture devalues or undermines witnessing. But the second aspect of, uh, or the second response is retreat from the culture. And that's Christians who pull, it, who, who pull away or pull in and become very inwardly focused. Um, they, they, uh, they don't want anything to do with the culture. They don't want to be connected in any way. They don't want to have friends in, that, that are not Christians. They don't want to be involved in, with businesses that are not Christians. They don't want to go to recreate where people are not Christians. They simply want to live a life of isolation. They want to get in the Christian cocoon and stay there where it's safe and warm, and they don't have any threat that they have to deal with. 
Well, that definitely devalues witnessing because how are you going to witness to anyone or share the gospel with anyone that you don't have a relationship with or don't have an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with on, a, on an ongoing basis? So it's possible to become preoccupied with the culture and with culture wars and to find ourselves either lashing out in anger or having a position of perpetual anger toward the culture or withdrawing and finding ourselves in a position of separation from the culture which cuts us off from the witnessing opportunities. So I want to challenge you, avoid these extremes. Avoid the extremes of anger and avoid the extremes of withdrawal or separation. Yes, as believers, we're salt and light. We have to have a voice in the culture. We have to stand up for what we believe. We have to voice Christian conviction in the public square. I'm certainly for all that. I I do that on a pretty regular basis. But I don't want to fall into the trap of letting that become a substitute for Christian witness or take me off the focus of giving a Christian witness of the gospel. Because ultimately, uh, people don't need their sexuality straightened out. People don't need their addiction straightened out. People don't need their marriages straightened out. Ultimately, what people need is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that gives them the capacity for a meaningful life now and, more importantly, gives them assurance of eternal life in heaven forever. So don't become preoccupied with culture wars. Instead, stay focused on sharing the gospel. Okay, a third barrier we create is self-fulfillment as your goal. Now, what I mean by this is that for many Christians, the ultimate goal of the Christian life is personal fulfillment. It's personal satisfaction. Now, there are some really uh, negative expressions of this, like the health and prosperity gospel, for example, where people say, you know, come to Jesus and he'll make you healthy. Come to Jesus and he'll make you wealthy. Come to Jesus and he'll give you everything you ever wanted. Uh, Come to Jesus and you'll be the child of a king and you should live like a king. Come to Jesus and you'll have um, a full and meaningful life now, your best life now type preaching. Well, uh, certainly there is an aspect of Christian life, which gives us self-fulfillment. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus wants you to have a full and meaningful life, and there's no question about that. But when you express the ultimate, fulfillment, the ultimate goal of being a Christian as self-fulfillment, then that begins to spill over into how you view your church life and how you, you, you view your ministry life. Church life becomes a means of self-fulfillment. Uh, Church life becomes that which is all about you. Uh, The programs are about you. The facilities are about you. The staffing and the pastor's responsibilities are all about you. And so when self-fulfillment personally and self-fulfillment corporately become the ultimate expression of what it means to be a Christian, then witnessing is devalued because who wants to bring any more more, uh, non-Christians into the mix? Who wants to deal with new converts? They're messy. Who wants to change church lifestyle or church programming to accommodate new believers or to accommodate unbelievers? We want to preserve the status quo and keep the focus on ourselves, keep our church a happy place where Christians go to get their needs met, and where we're able to escape from the difficulties of life and just be among Christian people and Christian friends and have nice Christian pastors who do nice Christian things for us. Man, if that's your vision of what it means to be a Christian, and if that's your ultimate goal of what it means to be a church, Uh, you'll not only devalue witnessing, you'll actually avoid it and maybe even speak against it because who wants to mess up such an idyllic experience or an idyllic situation? Remember this, the church is the only organization on earth that exists for non-members. 
Uh, the church exists to reach people with the gospel. The church exists as a vehicle for disciples to work together to reach more and more people and help them become followers of Jesus. And Christians do not exist to find self-fulfillment. We exist to find self-sacrifice and in the giving of ourselves away, find a fulfillment that can only come when we, when we empty ourselves. Um, we're not here. We're not here as Christians to find within our Christian faith uh, a self-improvement plan that's all about us, all about our needs, and that our church becomes all about meeting those needs. As Christians, we're here on a self-emptying plan. We're here to give ourselves away, sacrifice ourselves, make less of ourselves. And in the doing of that, Jesus said, if you give your life away, he said, you'll find it. Um, and if you do that, then you're going to find the true fulfillment that you're really looking for. So don't... Uh, have self-fulfillment as your goal, and don't let self-fulfillment be the goal of your church, because if you do, it's going to undermine your witnessing efforts. Well, number four on this podcast is underestimating the power of service. Now, what I mean by this, and I, I will go back to last week's podcast and try to tie two ideas together. What I mean by underestimating the power of service is that we devalue witnessing when we forget that a lot of witnessing uh, is, results from the service that we do for others and the opportunities we have that are gained by serving others. Now, I said last week that service is not enough. Um, lifestyle evangelism is not living your life in such a way that people are so impressed by you that they suddenly understand the gospel and place their faith in Jesus. That doesn't happen. In fact, not, not even Jesus did that. Jesus came living a life of service but also speaking the truth of the gospel. Now, what I'm saying this week is that it's, it's easy to make the opposite overreaction to that lifestyle evangelism being re redefined the wrong way and to go to the extreme the other way and say, well, then how we serve and how we live and what we do doesn't really matter. It does matter. In fact, Jesus said, the greatest among you is the servant of all. Jesus said that when you serve other people, you gain credibility and entree into their lives. You create openings, if you will, for the gospel. Um, I think of so many different ways that you can do this, uh, practical needs like taking food to a bereaved family or mowing a lawn when your neighbor's ill or staying late off the clock with a coworker to help them finish a project or uh, helping a single mom by giving her free childcare so she can have time to herself or time to take care of personal needs. These simple acts of kindness go a long way toward gaining credibility for the gospel. Now again, these acts of kindness are not enough to communicate the gospel, but don't undervalue their capacity for creating opportunities to share the gospel. I remember a friend named Dan, uh, he, his mother died, and I went to the funeral, uh, and as I was standing there waiting in the receiving line, when it came my turn to shake his hand and express my condolences, he looked up and just blurted out, what are you doing here? Now, he didn't say it in an in a accusatory way. He said it in a way like, wow, what are you doing here? And I just looked him in the eye and said, well, I, I thought you'd need a friend today, and I just wanted to know, you to know that I, I'm here for you. And tears came down his cheeks as I shook hands with him and went on down the line. Uh, in that moment, just that one powerful moment of showing up for him it, it, during the funeral service for his mother, I communicated service to him. I think of another pastor I know. He served a family for 25 years. 
Um, he led a person to faith in Christ in that family and started a relationship with them and then just started serving them, visiting them when they were sick, counseling them when they had difficulty, um, just being their friend and their, 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 uh, their, uh, their spiritual guide and their spiritual advisor. And, and yet none of the family ever joined his church or became part of his church, but he just kept this long-term relationship going. And then after 25 years, the matriarch of that family finally came to faith in Jesus Christ. 25 years of service created the opportunity for the gospel to finally penetrate her heart. So what I'm saying is that, yes, lifestyle evangelism is more than just living a life of commitment and service. It's about speaking the gospel. But don't then reverse that and make the opposite mistake, and that is devaluing service and saying it really doesn't matter what we do for others. We need to go talk and preach and tell. No, we need to do more than talk and preach and tell. We need to also serve because in the serving, we do create opportunities to share the gospel. Well, finally, a last barrier that we create to witnessing is a poor definition of Christian commitment. Now, what I mean by that is uh, we sometimes fall into the trap of defining Christian commitment in ways that devalue or undermine the, the, the witnessing responsibility that we have. For example, we define Christian commitment as living a moral life, or we define Christian commitment as making ethical choices, or we define Christian commitment as uh, completing a certain discipleship program or completing a certain scripture memory plan? Are we defined Christian commitment as going to church and in fact going to church time after time after time through the week so that we go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, a couple of nights during the week for small groups and other kinds of activities like playing church softball or playing church volleyball. So we find ourselves defining commitment as either uh, a certain kind of behavior or uh, a certain ki- completing a certain kind of program or a certain level of church participation. Now, uh, let me underscore that I am certainly for these things. I think church participation is essential. I'm definitely an advocate for uh, creating and finishing discipleship programs. I, I think moral and ethical choices are part of what it means to be a committed Christian. But Christian commitment has to be defined by more than just ethics or programs or participation. It also has to be defined by mission. Uh, some churches have gotten into the habit of saying that that their strength is not in terms of how many attend, but how many go. And I think there's some, some real strength in that balancing the definition. Um, And so if you define Christian commitment only by behavior and participation and program and leave out defining it partly by mission, you've truncated what it means to be a truly committed Christian and you've eliminated the witnessing or the evangelism responsibility. So I would advocate for a definition of Christian commitment that includes uh, behavior, includes some program participation, and definitely includes church uh, attendance and church involvement, but also includes missional lifestyle living so that part of being a committed Christian means that you're on mission with the gospel, that you're intentionally finding ways to share the gospel with people, and in that capacity, you're seeing commitment fully uh, formed. I think about my friend named Gerald. I just got an email from him the other day. I hadn't heard from him in years. It was about 30 years ago that uh, Gerald came into our church as a relatively committed Christian, but a frustrated Christian. Um, He knew there was just something missing in his life. And so after getting to know him, I I asked if he would like to be trained in personal witnessing and learn how to share his faith with others. And he agreed that he would really like to do that. And so I put him in our church witness training program and and walked him through several weeks of that. And after a few weeks, he and I went out and made a visit together. Now, 
I had visited this person before and actually shared the gospel with them on a couple of other occasions, and I knew that they were coming closer to a commitment to the Lord but had not yet made one. So when we went to this person's home, it was not a fancy house. It was actually a trailer house with a kind of a rickety uh, stairway outside. And we walked up and pounded on the door, and uh, this fellow opened the door. His name was Bobby. He said, I said, hey, Bobby, this is, preacher Je- this is a preacher. I said, uh, I got my friend Gerald with me. He got a minute. We come in and talk. And he said, sure. So we went into his house, and he shooed the cats off the kitchen table and pushed some of the paperbacks and dirty dishes out of the way. And we sat down there on some old rickety chairs, and <laughs> I said, Bobby, um, I know I've been out here to talk to you before, but I just want to ask you straight up if you've given any more thought to committing your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he said, you know, preacher, I have been thinking about that, and, uh, and I think I'm ready to do that. So I gave a brief summary of the gospel to help remind him of what we had talked about in the past, and then I shared the gospel briefly with him and then asked him if he'd like to pray with me and commit his life to Jesus. And he said, uh, I'd like to do that. So we prayed, and old Bobby uh, committed his life to the Lord. And then when he finished his prayer, I said, now, Bobby, I'm going to see you at church on Sunday, and when I give the invitation, I want you to walk down to the front, and I'm going to announce to the people that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to get baptized. He said, I want to get baptized. I'll be there Sunday, preacher. Well, we walked out of the house, and we were about halfway back to the car when my friend Gerald turned to me and said, let's go get another one. <laughs> Those were his exact words. Let's go get another one. Well, I had to <laughs> laugh a bit and help him understand that it wasn't about going out and getting another one. It was about developing a relationship and sharing the gospel a few times and, and uh, serving a man and then finally him coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But that opportunity for sharing the gospel ignited something in Gerald. And the reason he emailed me the other day was he emailed me to tell me the story of a person that he had led to faith in Christ and to thank me for helping him learn how to share his, share his faith about 30 years ago and that that really rounded out for him what it genuinely meant to be a Christian. It wasn't just about going to church and completing the program or, or even living a certain way. It was also about being on mission with the gospel. And in his email, he shared with me that it was being on mission with the gospel over the years that had brought in the most fulfillment and the deepest sense of satisfaction and the greatest sense of accomplishment of what it really meant to live for Jesus Christ. So don't truncate what it means to be a committed Christian. Yes, it means behaving certain ways, and yes, it means participating perhaps in certain programs, and yes, it definitely means being involved in your church, but it also means being on mission with the gospel. And if you don't have a fully orbed definition of Christian commitment, then people will devalue witnessing and move away from that because they don't see it as an integral part of what it really means to be a Christian. Well, These last two weeks, we've talked about barriers to sharing the gospel or barriers to witnessing for Jesus Christ. Most of these barriers are erected not by the culture in which we live or the lost people that are around us. They're put up by Christians, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes uh, without being intentional, uh, sometimes without even knowing it, but we put up these barriers. So I'm asking today, help take down the barriers so we can share the gospel more freely. And as a Christian leader, you have the responsibility to do that for the people that you're trying to influence. And as you do that, you'll be a more effective leader. And that's what we're all about. So, hey, lead on.